Amen. You guys got a Bible? Say yes. And then open it, 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're a guest of ours, welcome. We're so pleased that you chose to worship with us today. This is actually the last message in the series of Inspire. We're talking about the amazing effect of motivation. And, you know, the Bible calls all of us to motivate one another to love and to good deeds. And I sat with the staff this past Tuesday, those who were not in Mexico, and we kind of did a quick little go around the table and asked them, you know, our, our purpose through the whole month was to increase our level of encouragement. Do you feel like we've reached that? And so uh, interesting and uh, very encouraging. All of them said yes without a doubt. They've received letters and phone calls and emails and text messages from you guys. And man, I just appreciate y'all being faithful to minister and to encourage them. But also we just are making the assumption that if it's happening there, it's also happening out here. And so man, we're just excited about how God's doing that. Now so far we've looked at Paul's letters to Timothy, right? And what we've done is we have focused on how Paul actually inspired Timothy in the ministry. And I've already given you ten ways that you can inspire other people. I put those in your notes because I uh, wasn't sure if you had those memorized yet or not. So they're there in your notes for you. And uh, this morning I want to add two more uh, ways to encourage, kind of close this thing out. And man, excited to be able to share that with you today. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to find it. Uh, one of my favorite texts, verses 1 through 5. So if you'll stand with me and out of God's Word this morning, and you've got it there in front of you, say yes. And uh, notice what the Bible says. Uh, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the... Uh, what's your Bible say? Yeah, preach the... Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship. And then check this part. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's bow together. Father, we are... Uh, grateful for an opportunity again just to open up the word and want to pray that you can just give me clarity of mind and fit with your spirit to be able to deliver what you desire to be uh, taught today and God I pray for our church body that you continue to grow us uh, spiritually as we seek to make disciples everywhere so speak to us encourage us and inspire us and we'll give you glory for it and it's in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen so you can be seated really just two things I want to jump right into them this uh, morning the first thing that I really sense Paul is telling Timothy is he needs to keep his game face on keep his game face on now growing up I played basketball and baseball and I uh, love playing that I, I never was allowed to play football because then I wasn't near as huge as I am now all right so then I was six foot four and weighed 145 pounds and they wouldn't put me on a football field that's afraid I break and so uh, Anyway, I played basketball. I can remember, right, the coach would call us in for a little huddle right before the game, and he would say, now it's time to put your game face on. So what he was saying to us is you need to play your position. You need to accomplish what we have already practiced. You need to do your job. And really that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Do your job. Keep your game face on. Now where do we see that? Look in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his coming. Now let's stop there for a moment. Just kind of cruise through that verse for a second. All right. Solemnly charge. It's an awesome term in the Greek New Testament. It means to sternly warn or to grab someone's attention and insist on something happening. Uh, whenever you study uh, the New Testament, I just encourage you to maybe do this in your own time. But 
uh, whenever you find words that stand out like solemnly charge, you can actually use a Strong's Greek concordance and find out where that same word in the Greek New Testament is used throughout the New Testament. And so I did that this past week and I actually found myself in Luke chapter 16 and that terminology uh, there uh, about uh, basically going before and solemnly charging is actually found in Luke's gospel chapter 16. And it's when the man who is in hell, and by the way, that's the only guy in hell we have testimony from, but he speaks from hell to Abraham and says, Abraham, please send five of my brothers to warn them. And that, that, that's the same word, solemnly charge them that they don't want to come down here. And so that's the, the same word now that Paul the Apostle is using here in this text. I want to warn you, Timothy. And then he kind of uh, talks about how he wants to do that. And I want to warn you in front of, uh, and this is awesome, the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And so I kind of thought about a math teacher, right? Uh, a math teacher has a student in their class who's not doing so well. And so the math teacher calls for a parent-teacher con- conference. And the mom and dad show up and the student is there. And so the math teacher then looks at the student and says, I want to warn you in front of your mom and dad that if you don't get your grades up, you will fail this semester. And so what the math teacher is doing is actually banking on the authority of the mom and dad as he or she speaks to that student. Now, you multiply that by like a gazillion here, all right? Because what Paul is saying to Timothy is, I want to solemnly charge you in the presence of the highest authority above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth. I want to solemnly charge you in front of the face of God and Jesus Christ. And you can't get any more weighty than that particular charge. And so there he is. He's, he's warning him. He's solemnly charging him. And, and then he notices uh, who Jesus is, just kind of by way of reminder. He says, you know, Jesus, the one who is to judge the living and the dead. All right, everybody come here for a second, all right? Judge the living and the dead. Uh, God in Christ ultimately will judge every person who's ever breathed the breath of life. And there are two major judgments. Uh, there's the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment of unbelievers. So those who reject Jesus now, when one day stand before Jesus Christ after their death, and Jesus then will judge them. And uh, he'll determine uh, their eternity, which is hell. Uh, he will judge them based upon their deeds because apparently that's what they wanted. And they will find up they check up radically short and then they'll be cast into a lake of fire for all of eternity. So that's the judgment of unbelievers. That's going to happen to the living, going to happen to the dead. And then also, there's another judgment. That's the judgment of believers. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we realize that we couldn't make ourselves uh, available for heaven. We were sinners before a holy God and needed forgiveness. So we trusted in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection to pay for our sin. And so when we stand before Jesus... We're not going to be judged based upon our sin to find out where we're going to spend eternity. But we will, as disciples, be judged based upon our faithfulness to do what God has gifted us to do. So we're going to be judged based upon our service in the context of the body. And listen, we're going to be judged now so that we might receive reward. And so here's the picture. Paul says, Timothy, I want to solemnly charge you in front of God and Jesus the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge you, Timothy, so pay attention. And then he goes on, and it's almost like, you know, he's, he's already got it massive. I mean, you can't get any more weighty than what Paul has said. But then he just throws in there uh, almost like a more statement. And by his appearing and coming. 
All right, let me add that. All right? And this is wild. The word appearing uh, in the Greek New Testament gives us the English word epiphany. Now, you may have heard that word before. It, it speaks of a visible manifestation of God, epiphany. And so when Paul says, and by his appearing, uh, he's saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, I'm charging you in front of God and Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus is going to judge the living and death, and he's coming back, and you will see and then he says, and by his kingdom, which means he's not only coming back, he will rule and reign. So his kingdom is coming. So you better be ready. All right, so he's, he's charging him. Are y'all with me? Say yes. It really is pretty awesome, man. In fact, um, one commentator said it would be difficult to see how Paul uh, could have made his charge to Timothy any more weighty. Uh, one more quote I found concerning the verse. He says, such a thought must surely act as a great incentive to all pastors to take their calling very seriously. They must not be so concerned to please their congregations or be influenced by the criticism or praise of others to the extent that they forget that they are accountable to God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's huge, man. All right, Now listen, the charge is coming. So it's like, what exactly does Paul want Timothy to do? Now you got to think about it. If my man Paul was reading the letter and he was getting a little bit sleepy at this point, he's awake now. All right. It's like now, full attention, eyes wide open, leaning up on the chair, and then he gives it to him in verse 2. Preach the word. Can we practice that for just a second? I'm going to say preach the, and you say the word? Just say word. Don't say the. I'm going to say the. Preach the. Preach the. That's what the preacher's supposed to do. And that's what he tells him. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And as Paul here is just basically saying, you need to use your God-given gift. And here's what's awesome. I didn't realize this was going to happen as we were studying this. But as we've looked at First and Second Timothy, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? How many times Paul uh, brings up Timothy's gift. He's like, you need to kill that thing fresh. Don't give up your gift. Remember, we laid hands on you. We heard prophecy about your life. Exercise your gift. And now here he's like, preach the word. Use your gift. So he's saying, keep your head in the game. That's what he's doing. Keep your head in the game. Now... Uh, the word preach, by the way, is an awesome word in the Greek New Testament. It's the word caruso. It's one of those words that I enjoyed saying while I was in seminary and thought I would wow you with the fact I could still say it, all right? Caruso. But it's used 61 times in the New Testament. And every single time it speaks of preaching. And the deal there is the word preach. There, there's, uh, there's some force behind the word, all right? It means to announce with authority. It means to deliver a message. And uh, honestly, he's saying, I want you to caruso the word, preach the word. It's the same thing used in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, describing John the Baptist, where the Bible says John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. It's the same thing used in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, where the Bible says that Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Paul's saying, Timothy, I want you to follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist, preach the word. I want you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, preach the word. Do your job. Do what God's called you to do. And then I like it too, right? It's like, let me tell you when you need to preach it. He says, be ready in season and out of season. And that's a huge uh, concept, right? Uh, whenever you think of in season or out of season, it's only possible to be in season or out of season. If I, if I told you, and this is like, you know, y'all participate. But if I said, I want you to pick the blueberries in season or out of season. So my question now is, when do I want you to pick the blueberries? Y'all didn't get it, I don't reckon. When do I want you to pick the blueberries? Yeah, all the time. Same people got it. And so here he says, preach the logos. 
Uh, preach the word uh, on a macro level. Preach the Bible on a uh, micro level. Preach the gospel. Preach it in season and out of season. So when should the preaching of the word of God happen? You bet your dollars, right? All the time. Preach it all the time. In season, out of season. He talks about what it's supposed to be like. So whenever you go and you listen to preaching, this is what's going to show up. And so he says that there's going to be some reproof. All right, and that's a, that's a huge word. It's a, think about it. It's when the word of God, um, when the Lord really takes the word and he shines a light on sin in our lives. And so this is uh, whenever you're listening to preaching. And I've been there before, so I sit there and I listen to preaching. And God, by his grace, he illuminates the sin that's in our life. And then what he's doing is he's saying, watch it. All right, there's the sin. That's what I wanted to show you. Uh, there is reproof. And then there is rebuke. Uh, and this is an awesome word. When uh, preaching the word of God, the Lord will sternly warn people of sinful danger. Um, by the way, it's the same terminology used uh, by Jesus when, remember, he was hanging out with the disciples in the boat and that huge storm came. And then uh, they were all nervous. So they woke Jesus up. They're like, we're about to die. Don't you care? And Jesus stood on the edge of the boat and he's like, be still. Uh, really, what was happening is he was rebuking the waves. So they sat flat. And so there are times when you are uh, listening to preaching, just as I am. And not only will God say, uh, watch it, that's wrong. But there are times when God will flat out say, stop it. You need to repent. That is sin. And that happens to all of us. And so that's, that's what he's saying. When you hear biblical preaching, you're going to have some reproof, you're going to have some rebuke. And then uh, this will make you all feel a little better. There will be a little exhortation. Uh, really, that just means encouragement. So there are times when you're listening to God's Word being preached, and instead of hearing, stop it, repent, uh, watch it, uh, you may hear the Lord say to you, keep on going. You're doing exactly what I want you to do. Keep moving in that direction. Awesome stuff. It's almost like an attaboy in the preaching. And uh, oftentimes that happens as well. Now, it's pretty awesome, and I still haven't really fully wrapped my head around preaching yet. Um, I know I should by this time, right? But it, it's pretty amazing because... The Bible can be preached, but here's the deal. While the Bible's being preached, the Holy Spirit's working at the same time. And so while the Word of God goes out, the Holy Spirit begins to work in the lives of people. And you can walk out of here, and I guarantee if we ran into each other out in the hallway, three or four of us, three or four of us would probably speak about something else which God impressed on their heart through the message. How is that? How does that work? You know what I mean? Sometimes I get a little nervous when I go out there and somebody says something completely off base of what I preach. They're like, here's what the Lord taught me. I'm like, I wasn't teaching that. But there are times God will take his word being preached and apply it to your circumstance in a unique fashion. You see, the Bible describes itself as living and active. There is no other book in history or antiquity that is living and active. All right? No commentary. No notes at the bottom of the page of the Bible. That's not living and active. What's living and active is the Bible. And the scripture tells us that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the capability to divide between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. It gets down on the gut level, uh, check this out, of really looking even at the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so when God's word is preached, it not only goes out to talk about maybe what we're doing, but God's Word has the ability to actually get down to what we're thinking and speak directly to that. There's no other book like the Bible. And whenever a guy who calls himself a pastor stands up, he, he needs to have a Bible to preach from. And he needs to preach the Word. Right? You know, Jeremiah describes the Word of God as a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. 
And I thought about over the years how many people have come to church with hard hearts. And I've seen them, man, all right? They come in calloused. You know, the bottom lip poked out, arms folded. It's like, my wife made me come. All right. And then they sit there, but over time, God, by His grace, takes the rock of the Word, and He hammers that heart, and He shatters that heart to pieces. And then God, by His grace, takes every single piece and throws them aside and gives that man a brand new heart that actually beats for eternity and for the Son of God. That's what God does when the Word's preached. It's a rock, or a hammer, rather that actually breaks the rocks. And then also I know, uh, you know, the Bible says the Word of God is like a lamp. It gives light to our steps. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, you can't live on bread alone. You need the Word of God. So the Word actually gives us spiritual nourishment. Uh, James 2, the Word of God is like a mirror. It actually exposes our true condition. All right, some of you got up this morning and looked in the mirror and you're like, that's horrible, right? Some of you should have looked in the mirror. Y'all listening? But the mirror always gives you a true reflection of what you look like. That's what God's Word does when it is preached. It gives you a true reflection of what you, as well as myself, look like before a holy God. So we preach the Word. I mean, you know, I'm encouraged by this text. I couldn't imagine what I'd do if I didn't have a Bible to preach from. I don't know any, enough stories, you know what I'm saying? I ain't but 26. But I'm glad I got a Bible, man, just to get up here. And it's awesome, right? So I get the privilege, man. I'm thankful to God that he called me, but I get to study this. And I'm like, man, Sunday I'm going to get up here and tell them what the Bible says. Woo! And that's where it is. Just tell them what the Bible says. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny, right? A buddy of mine, we always joke with each other. Uh, he texts me all the time throughout the week. And typically after the sermon, he let me know how horrible it was or something. And it's a real source of encouragement in my life. But a couple of weeks ago, he texted me and he said, uh, Hey, man, I'm going to quit coming to church on Sunday because every Sunday you're talking to me. Now, he's just messing with me, right? So I text him back and said, I'm just the mailman. I can't help if it's got your address on it. You know what I'm <laughs> now, we're just joking and bantering back and forth. But you know what it's like, don't you? You've been in church. I know I have. And you hear preaching, and all of a sudden you feel like you're the only one in the room. And it's like God is talking to me right now. That, that, that is uh, biblical preaching. That's what he says, preach the word, preach it. Check, check out the end of verse 2, he's like, uh, and I like this, with great patience and instruction. Great patience. Uh, what kind of patience? <laughs> now let me ask you again, what kind of patience? Great. And like, I want to say that and just expand it. Great patience. And here's the reason why, man. When you preach the Bible, or you, maybe you teach a small group, a community group, or a grow group, and you're teaching, uh, there are times if you're not careful, you'll lose patience with the people you're trying to teach. I'll shoot you straight, man. There have been times preaching when I know somebody is in the uh, group who still haven't made a faith decision in Jesus Christ. And, man, I, I, get, I, I almost want to lose patience when I say, I want to run out there while I'm preaching. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? But I'm talking to you. Grab them by their shoulders. Be like, you need to repent and be saved. And uh, that would be me losing my patience. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. No, I'm just giving it. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, there's, there's times, man, and... Uh, when I'm preaching, and I, I know y'all won't find this difficult to believe, but he, right here at Concord, people go to sleep while I'm preaching. That's right, you better hit him. <laughs> but it happens, and I'm thinking to myself, here I am. You know, I, I really feel like I've been with the Lord this week. I'm getting up here. I'm not just kind of blowing smoke and telling stories. I want to tell you what the Bible says. And here's a word from God, and people snooze it. And I'm like, what in the world? I, I got an idea. Next time somebody falls asleep, all of us are going to get up and sneak out. 
and we're going to leave him. All right? And then when he wakes up, I hope he thinks the rapture occurred and he's still here. You know what I'm saying? He'd be like, he'd be like I know I should have listened this morning. He's like, you bet your life. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be very patient, would it? But honestly, we've we got to be patient. And I, and I think that's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you're going to be out there preaching. It's going to be tough. I mean, grown men are going to be falling asleep on you. Uh, and by the way, Paul the Apostle, while preaching in the book of Acts, uh, went on to midnight, the Bible says, and my man fell asleep in the sermon. Read it. He fell out the window and died. I highlight that in my verse and say, praise the Lord. He ought to be dead. <laughs> but Paul went out there and actually raised him from the dead. I don't have that ability. So if you die, it's on you. <laughs> but it says, be patient, right? Everybody's just saying, keep your game face on, preach. It's going to be difficult, but you keep moving forward and doing what God's called you to do. Now, here's the deal. And everybody come to me for a second because I want you to see this. When I look at this message, what I'm looking at is Paul talking to Timothy. And Timothy's a pastor. And I'm thinking, you know what? Not everybody in the church is a pastor. So what's the principle that we can learn? Here's the principle. In the same way that Paul was given, or I'm sorry, that Timothy was given a spiritual gift to exercise in the body, you've been given one. So you get your game face on. Listen, you can't be sitting on the bench talking about, Maybe I'll go in later. You can't be sitting in the stand saying, I'm just going to watch this one. No, no, you ought to be a part of the body. You ought to be exercising your gift in the body. It literally speaks to the fact you ought to get your game face on. I mean, take the ball of ministry that God has given you and dribble that thing up court. Don't sit around and look at everybody else doing it. Get involved. Keep your game face on. So I, so I guess I could say it like this. Are you serving in the body? Or do you come more as a spectator? And watch everybody else do it and maybe even cheer them on. Or are you doing what God's called you to do? Get your game face on. All right, second truth. Y'all ready for it? Say, yeah. Uh, faithfully accomplish the ministry God has given you. Faithfully accomplish the ministry God's given you. And uh, I love this. Look at verse 3 and 4. Uh, he says, A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. So real quick, let's just kind of... Uh, you know, break some of that down. He said there's going to come a time where they won't endure sound doctrine. And the word endure is a, is a pretty awesome word. It means to accept. So they won't accept sound doctrine. Uh, another forceful way of saying is they won't put up with it. Uh, so they're not going to have any sound doctrine going on. And the word for sound, we get our English word hygiene from it. So what he's saying is they, there's going to come a time, Timothy, when they're not going to put up with uh, uh, healthy teaching. They, they don't want to hear it. And then he goes on and basically says they'd rather have their ears tickled. And so, you know, bottom line is what a lot of people want behind a pulpit, it's not a preacher. They want the tickle monster. Y'all know the tickle monster? He comes to our house all the time. Y'all don't know the tickle monster? Don't make me come out there. I will show you the tickle monster. That's it. It's like, well, we want a guy to get up there. He'll tell some stories, make us laugh, cut up with us. And I understand we, you know, have a great time here, but we don't do it at the expense of preaching the Bible. We want to make sure the scripture goes out. Man, tickling ears is not the calling of any true born-again uh, preacher of the gospel. So we deliver the word. And notice what he says. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Accumulate, it means to pile up. You know, as I was reading that, I thought about uh, my son's closet uh, upstairs in, in his closet. He's actually got a whole pile of board games, right? So he's got Monopoly up there and some others, Connect Four. And so, you know, you think about it. They, they take a game down. They play it for a little while. When they get bored with it, they fold it up, put it back in. They go to the stack. So we'll just get another game. We don't like this one. We'll just play this one. And that's how a lot of people treat teaching and preachers. So that guy, he's not very entertaining. We don't like him. 
Now, he's not very funny. Uh, let's fold him up and put him away. Let's get somebody in here who can tell us some stories and tickle our ears and teach, listen, teach in harmony with our own personal peculiar lusts. Uh, don't let that dude talk about hell or sin or repentance or heaven or Jesus being the only way. We, we don't want to hear all that nonsense. All right? Tickle our ears. Uh, you know, we even read uh, a lot of preaching books, which I've read you know, several, but it's pretty amazing what even some preaching books will say. It would be like the preacher only needs to preach for 20 minutes. Now, don't you say amen. I'm thinking 20 minutes. And then it's like, make sure you tell a lot of stories. What? Why? Here, here's the reason why. I don't, I don't think any of them ever actually said it. So, but some people think, if you don't tell a lot of stories while you're preaching, they're going to get bored. And then I'm thinking to myself, not if the preacher ain't bored. See, the, the, the issues is we've got a lot of preachers who are bored with the Bible. But if they get on their face before God and get jacked about the message again, they'll come up preaching. And they won't be boring. Like, if you go to sleep on me, I can't help it. I'm fired up about this thing. You know what I'm saying? Can't help it. I think it was Charles Spurgeon one time who said, hey, uh, he's talking to young preachers. Y'all go, uh, set yourself on fire, and people come watch you burn. That's pretty good. All right, so check out what they do. All right, these are people who don't want to hear preaching. And um, they, they turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Y'all seen little toddlers uh, arguing before? It may be actually a husband and wife arguing. And they put their fingers in their ears and they say, la, 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 I can't hear you anymore. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's what he's saying. There are people who actually come and they will sit down. And when biblical truth is being delivered, they may not put their fingers in their ears, but they are making sure they're not paying attention. So they sit in the context even of a worship service and they stay up late Saturday night so they can sleep while the preaching's going on. Or they show up on Sunday and they try to think about every single thing other than what's being preached. So they think about what they got to do at work, think about what they got to do in their yard, think about their grocery list, totally ignoring what God's Word has to say to them that day. That's why James says in the New Testament that you ought to clean out your ears so that you can receive the Word of God implanted which is able to mature your souls. The people try hard not to listen. And that's what they do, not paying attention to this. But they'll turn aside the myths. Now, this is wild, right? He's not talking about allegories. He's not even talking about metaphors. Allegories and metaphors, at least they have some truth in them. And Jesus even used allegories. He said they turn aside the myths. It's, it's a word, by the way, which speaks of uh, the idea of telling a story uh, with a superhero in it. And uh, you and I, we hear those stories, and when there's a superhero in it, who do you always put yourself in the shoes of? The superhero. And so humanity, and I want you to listen to this, this is wild. Humanity is wired to worship someone or something. All right? That's how humanity is wired. And so what ends up happening is, they, because they don't want to worship Jesus, they want to hear a myth where they can make themselves the superhero in the story and ultimately worship themselves. Share a myth with us. Share a story where I'm the hero and everything revolves around me. That's what they want. So they close their ears to Bible preaching, but they, they'll listen all day to myths. It's not only that, but you know, there are individuals who uh, take myths and they're not only stories about superheroes, but also uh, they will begin to give extra revelation from the Bible. And this bothers me vehemently. Right, well, anytime I hear a pastor or somebody standing with a Bible in their hand and they say, hey, I've got some new revelation I want to share with you. You, you might want to change the channel or go to a different church. 
All the revelation that we need according to Hebrews 1 is found in Jesus Christ the Son and has been presented to us in the Bible. Don't be creating new stuff. We got plenty to deal with right here. And I think about uh, even a pastor I was talking about this preacher who was standing up and he he said, I want to share with y'all some new revelation. Did you know that every single Christian has seven angels who follow them? And check this out. He actually had names for all seven angels. But then he says it like this. Now, you're not going to find this in your Bible. This is a fresh word from the Lord. Listen, if it ain't in the Bible, I don't want to hear it. And I, I think to myself, you know, I can't, I'm not even that creative. He came up with seven names. Can't hardly remember the names of my four children. And I'm like, seven names? And they were all Hebrew names. I'm like, this guy has gone overboard. Right? That's some creativity. Be shocked what will happen if he just reads the Bible. There's plenty in here, man. There's enough here. Enough here. All right, y'all stay with me. I kind of went crazy on that point, didn't I? Look at, look at verse 5. Um, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now, this is huge, right? Be sober. It means show some self-control. Uh, don't let, check this out, and this, this applies to everybody, so listen. Don't allow external circumstances to derail you from what God's called you to do. Be sober. Endure. It's not going to be easy preaching God's word, doing what God's called you to do. That's not an easy pathway. All right? There are difficult decisions that have to be made. You're going upstream against a godless culture when you stand with Jesus Christ. So it is not going to be roses, all right? But you endure hardship. That is, you remain faithful even when it's difficult. And then, um, I love it, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Now, everybody, come, come here, come here, come here. Because I want y'all to hear this, all right? Timothy, are y'all paying attention? Timothy was given the gift to be a pastor teacher. Check it out. He wasn't given the office of being an evangelist. Now, why am I telling you this? Here's why I'm telling you this. Because, I'll say it to you like this. Every evangelist can't be a pastor. But every single pastor better be an evangelist. An evangelist is somebody who shares the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. So here Paul is talking to Timothy, who's not even called to be an evangelist. But he says, do the work of one. Now, here's what I want to say to you. If you're not careful, you might begin to think because you're not an evangelist that you aren't called to do that. But here's the deal. No matter what God's called you to do, you fulfill that, but you better do the work of an evangelist too. So every single one of us are to be sharing Jesus Christ. Every believer. It's good stuff. Now, check out what he says here towards the end. And I'll just say too, I've... My time's running out, but let me just give you this. Just, just, this is just for free, all right? Any preaching you listen to, and I know some of you guys are guests, and we're glad that you're here, but I want to tell you this morning, if you're, if you're looking for a home church, you better find a place where they're actually preaching the Bible. And here, here's a good way that you can know it. J.I. Packer says it like this. The preacher will relate the specific content of all his messages to Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection, and his gift of new life to those who trust him. In that sense, the preacher will imitate Paul, who when he visited Corinth, resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So here's the deal. Every biblical message that is preached will always have the news of Jesus Christ in it. 
don't care what you're preaching on. If you're preaching on giving, uh, you better talk about giving your heart to Jesus. Uh, Spurgeon again. He says, uh, take any um, text of Scripture and make a beeline for the cross. Every message ought to have the gospel in it. So if you can go to church and they're talking about how to love your wife, but they don't tell you how to give, a, give your heart to Jesus, you need to be hearing that. Listen, you can't even love your wife properly unless you give your heart to Jesus. You don't have the ability to. So Jesus ought to always show up in the message. Uh, you know, I, I got uh, kind of ragged on one time. Not here. Y'all too sweet. But I, I did in the past where uh, somebody said of my preaching, all he ever does is tell people how to be saved. <laughs> and then the comment was, uh, he shares the gospel every single week. I think we get it. I'm like, no, you don't. If you did, you'd be right behind me saying, preach it, bro. Every single time the gospel went forth. And uh, that's why you come here on Sunday mornings. It doesn't matter what I'm preaching on. You're going to hear about Jesus' death on the cross for your sin, his burial and resurrection. And I'm going to encourage you to repent and give your heart to Jesus every sermon. And uh, I like that kind of preaching. So that's the kind of preaching I'm going to try to deliver. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? I, I tell you this, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome, right? Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of all these Charles Spurgeon quotes, but uh, Charles Spurgeon was talking to some guy. <laughs> And uh, the guy said to him, hey, you keep preaching like that. I'm just telling you, you're going to rub the cat the wrong way. Spurgeon said, turn the cat around. <laughs> That's my man right there, boy. Turn that. Meow. <laughs> I just meowed. <laughs> All right, here's the end of it now. Y'all come on. We got to close it out. He says, fulfill your ministry. And, uh, it, and this is wild. When you look at the word fulfill, it means make it happen. Now, whenever I read that and I think, like, make your ministry happen, I immediately say, wait a minute now. I don't make the ministry happen. God makes it happen. And that's true, but here's something the Lord taught me this past week. God makes the ministry happen, but that don't mean you sit around and do nothing. In the same sense that God sanctifies you, that is, makes you more like Jesus Christ every single day, uh, that's a promise. He's going to do that. It doesn't mean you sit around and do nothing. In fact, Peter says right there in Second uh, Peter chapter 1 that you have everything you need to live life, a godly life. Everything you need. And he says, yeah, here's what you got to do, though. You got to apply diligence and perseverance. And so he's saying, hey, listen, God has given you everything you need to be godly, but you have to persevere. You got to work. And that's the image here. Fulfill your ministry. Work at it. And I love it. Now, here's, here's kind of the image that came to my mind. You know, if you guys went on vacation to Myrtle Beach, right? If you did that and you came to me and you're like, we're going to Myrtle Beach, preacher. I would say, you know what? There's a seafood restaurant you got to go to. you you got to make sure you visit that place right on the coast. Man, best seafood you ever put in your mouth. We, we had crab legs there. Unbelievable. you got to go. I'd give you the address. I'd tell you when they're open. Still full from it. Y'all with me? Th this is the imagery that I got in my mind. Paul the Apostle is... Sharing with Timothy. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Picture this, all right? Paul is sitting at the end of the table, end of his life, wipes his fork off with his napkin, puts his napkin on top of his plate, puts his fork down. Timothy, I have fulfilled the ministry God's given me, and I am satisfied. Timothy, right now, you're about to cut into the main course. Go all the way. 
gobble up everything God puts in front of you. That, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting from that word, right? So, so what God's saying to me, Levi, listen, you're still young. Uh, I don't even know if I've touched the main course yet. Are y'all listening? But here's what I know, man. I, I want to make sure whatever God puts in front of me that I am gobbling it up. And here's the deal. I can't sit on the end of the table and be like, fulfill your ministry as if I've already been there and experienced. I can't do that with you guys. But here's what I can say to you. Let's bank on those who already have, like Paul the Apostle, like Timothy, like that whole roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, who have already gone the distance. And then they say to us, you are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So let us press on towards the goal of Jesus Christ the Lord, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Hey, man, get your head in the game if it's not. And fulfill the ministry God's given you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I do thank you for your word and the opportunity just to uh, preach again today. But I do ask that our fellowship would always be about preaching the word. And God, even as we go forth with new campuses, that, that, that very charge, preach the word, will be in our ears. And God, I pray for our congregation, Lord, those who perhaps... Uh, they don't have their head in the game. I don't know, maybe they're sitting on the sidelines or in the stands maybe or even already about walked out the door. Lord, put your hand on them. And by grace, uh, just remind them that you're looking over their shoulder, that you judge the living and the dead. And they definitely want to be faithful to you. And then, God, I know that there are some in this uh, very worship service. They're, They're a lot farther along. I mean, they're sitting maybe at the end of the table. Maybe they're on dessert already. God, I just pray that you give them grace to fulfill their ministry, and then may they be a great source of encouragement to those of us who are younger. They just come alongside us and say, hey, do it. Fulfill the ministry. I mean, I'm telling you, what I have ate of the Lord, it is good. You know, that's a Bible verse, isn't it? It's like, taste and see the Lord is good. There it is. Now, here's the deal. Uh, where exactly are you in your walk with the Lord? What decisions do you need to make this morning? You can't listen to a message like this and just roll out. What decisions do you need to make? You may be here today and, uh, listen, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you died right now, you would uh, split hell wide open. The Bible says God created you to know him, but sin is a disease, and all of us were born with it. We're contracted with disease at the moment of our birth, all right? So we have sin, and if we hold on to that sin, we'll die eternally and spend uh, our Eternity separated from God in hell. But here's what the Bible teaches. God still loves us. God sent a prescription. All right, He didn't, he didn't send a pill. He sent a person. Jesus came to the earth, lived a sinless life for you and for me. Jesus went to the cross. There on the cross, he died for you, for me. The penalty we deserve for our sin, Jesus took upon himself at the cross. He was buried and resurrected. Now the Bible says, uh, turn to Christ and you can be forgiven become a follower of his your life will be changed trust his death burial and resurrection it's payment for your sin and some of you need to make that decision this morning and here's some great news the bible says whosoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved so it's like who who is whosoever well anybody in here that's for sure if you need to give your life to jesus call out to him just say something like this lord i'm a sinner i got a disease and i understand 
going to church isn't going to get rid of this internal disease. Lord, I understand that baptized or baptism isn't going to get rid of this disease. Lord, I, I want to trust Jesus fully and completely today. And I want to follow him. Thank you for sending him to die for me and get up from the grave. Now help me to be bold about my decision. Your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you just prayed to give your life to Christ, the first step of obedience for a new believer, according to the Bible, is to be baptized. So I'm going to invite you in a moment. We'll stand at our feet. I'll be here in the front, others as well. We want to pray for you. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you might have to ask some folks to kind of slide out your way. But we'll be down here. I'm going to invite you to come forward. And uh, we just want to pray for you and encourage you. Or God may be calling you to join this church body. You're like, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to serve. I want to, I want to be a missionary uh, at that church to help make disciples everywhere. If that's you, man, your family, we encourage you to come this morning. Father, the invitation is yours. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.